Welcome to the Corner Booth with Chris and Barry. I'm Chris Tripoli, hosting with my friend Barry Schuster, the editor of Restaurant Startup and Growth Magazine. How you doing, Barry? I'm doing great, Chris. Thanks a lot. I'm really looking forward to talking to our guests today. They're going to tell us a story how they went from restaurant dreamer to successful restaurant operator. We're going to find out how they did it and more importantly, why they did it. And I'd like to give a special shout out to companies that support the independent restaurant operator, like today's sponsor, ARF Financial. They support uh, restaurants by providing financing, whether you need operational stability, you're ready to expand, you just want to upgrade equipment or renovate something, and more. They've been doing this since 2001. They've been helping uh, independent operators get money and they're good people. Check them out. They need to keep it going. If you're a listener and you'd like to learn a little bit more about their funding and how it might help you, just go to their website, arffinancial.com. So welcome to the corner booth. Grab a seat, get a drink, and listen in. Well, Barry, today's guest is a good friend of mine. Chris O'Donnell is the owner of the Craft Grill. Chris, welcome to the corner booth. Well, thank you. I feel welcome. Maybe you could kind of get started, bring us up to date with uh, uh, with what it is you're doing right now at the Craft Grill, uh, a little bit about the concept, and we'd, then we'd love to hear your story about how you got into all this craziness. Okay. Well, Craft uh, Grill is a southern comfort food cuisine. I think the thing that makes us different than everybody else is just how we're connected to the audience. Uh, our guests know that we put on extra staff. We take extra care in making all the ingredients from scratch so that they can relax, enjoy themselves, come craft the experience that they want, and have some great food. That's wonderful. Full service, right? Seven days a week, lunch, dinner? Yep. You're uh, open at seven days a week at 11 and close at 10 and 11 on the uh, weekdays and weekends. Good for you. How many years have you been doing this now, Craft Girl? We've been open three and a half years. Congratulations. So, uh, Chris, uh, he, he, talking offline, um, you share with us uh, your very interesting uh, career in the restaurant business, starting out as a very young man and, and having a lot of longevity in this industry. Um, you want to tell us a little bit about your journey? Um, you started out as an operator. You went. You uh, became uh, an executive with a um, uh, large corporate chain, and uh, and you've come full circle back to being an operator again. So, uh, uh, if you could kind of walk us through that journey, and then tell us what what brought you back to uh, becoming uh, independent. All right. Well, I mean, I started out cooking. I was cooking a thousand eggs a morning on the boardwalk in Atlantic City with the chef hats on, flipping the eggs four feet in the air. And I was <laughs> kitchen manager of Valley Forge Inn and uh, when I was going to college. Um, so I've always been in the restaurant industry. Went in the Navy, got out, and went back into restaurants. Um, and I've been an, uh, an operator and a district manager for many years. Uh, I was with Chili's for 22 years. Uh, I was the area director of North Houston for 15 of them. And um, after that, I, I, well, I was president of the Houston Restaurant Association. I had some great friends, and I loved all the people at Chili's, but I wasn't crazy about where the concept was going. You can't mock what they've done for the shareholders, and the team is fantastic, but it wasn't really for me anymore. So I joined a couple of friends, a couple of good friends of mine, Barry and Martin Aaron, were own Brothers Produce. They started it, largest produce distributor in Texas, and they had me join them as their vice president of sales. Had a wonderful time. It was working in the same industry. It was great. But I just missed the nuts and bolts of running a restaurant. And my kids had just both graduated college, and that was a piece of it. My wife wouldn't let me do anything where, until we, corporate world pays you much better than the uh, private world does. 
<laughs> and so I, both kids graduated college and paid for it. My daughter's wedding paid for it, and then we could do a little risk. Well, I talked to a good friend of mine, Joe Copas, about my desire to get back into the nuts and bolts. And he's a wonderful man, and, and uh, Craft Group could not exist without him. He's my 50-50 partner, and he's the one that uh, provided the assets and that and loans and such. We, uh, we opened Craft Grill, and we've been very successful. We've hit our business plan from the first month, and um, we're, we're very proud of it. How did you decide the location for Craft Grill? Well, Connie and I have lived in Northwest Houston. for We've been married 32 years, and we've lived up there, uh, all of it, and lived in the same neighborhood for over 20. And uh, Joe and Patty live in the Woodlands. So we wanted local. I didn't want to drive far. I'm going to be working my, my tail off, and uh, I didn't want it to be far. And we know that market because we live there. And we okay. saw the growth, and when it was just blowing up out there, and we could tell what was the needs were, and we knew the community street by street, better than anybody. And when this one Creekside is what it was called, got to a certain mass market and it was underserved, uh, we saw a great need and a, and a great spot to do it. So Chris, coming back into the independent operator world uh, after you know many years and a long experience uh, from every aspect of the industry, it's hard for me to believe that anything would surprise you anymore because you have that experience, but was there anything that you found particularly different that required you to maybe adapt your way of thinking just because of the changes of technology, demographics, et cetera, or were you kind of uh, pretty much ahead of the curve going into this? You know, I think that um, surprises, there's always surprises. I mean, the restaurant industry is just a business that you are doing business every minute, whether it's with vendors or produce or or hiring or, or the guest and menu and all that. It's just a business, so it's fun and exciting. So there's little surprise every day, but the th I think the thing that was reinforced more than anything is something I had said my whole life and uh, taught by others, the uh, norm breakers of the world and others, but that it's about the people. And bring the best people you can around you and then allow them to, to run and uh, let them like, make mistakes and, and have some fun. So I, I got a fantastic team together and it really has evolved into Craft Grill, which is a special place. My general manager, Jennifer LeBlanc, uh, I've known for many years, her and her husband, and she just is everything that I'm not. So it just builds a great team. Um, and then I got Jaime Salgado as my kitchen manager, who I used for many years at Chili's, um, fixing stores and just, he's a great leader among the back of the house. So I let him own the kitchen. Uh, then my wife, she builds all the recipes and, and writes all the, all the social media and then all the, all the recipes and designs the menu because it, it, everything has to be true to our concept. And she keeps us in check with that. And I'm just proud. It's just, um, the surprise is that and when you do it the right way, it just really works. All advertising is within your four walls. You're the one that does it. We only use, um, we use Facebook and Google. But other than that, we only do advertising within our four walls by doing a great job. You know, a lot of the people we talk to um, echo what you're saying in terms of uh, how important the people are and, and uh how important culture is, um, which I think you're suggesting here. Uh, you know, talk about the culture of your restaurant and, you know, did it kind of morph just naturally or, you know, was there some vision you had of the way things should work in your restaurant that you had to drive and then integrate with onboarding and picking the right people and, and communicating that vision? Well, we, we use a lot of the tools, um, you know, the Covertus and the, the outside tools that are, that are there. We went with the 
the high-end uh, register system with the technology. And so we provide all the tools that the um, team members can utilize to do the best job. So, yeah, what I'm hearing, I guess, is that it starts and ends with people. I love the fact that you already commented on building that teams, like putting a puzzle together because your first couple people seem to be very strong in areas that you weren't. That's another good note. Um, and But when it comes to the hourly in the front of the house and the back of the house staff, can you amplify a little bit on your system of selecting and onboarding? I bet you've got uh, your some thoughts on how training systems have changed. And then is there continued ongoing training or is that not needed? We could probably do better on the ongoing. There's, there's certainly areas of opportunity uh, that we have. But the thing that I, the hugest opportunity that most restaurants have is staffing. Yes. And you hear it everywhere. I mean, everybody's got to sign up. And um, the thing that we do, and we've been very successful in uh, keeping ourselves staffed, we, we are staffed. And it's really by treating the team members well, making sure that they have a good positive environment. You know, some kitchens or, or some restaurants, the front of the house, the back of the house don't get along or there's too much drama or there's, you know, a foul language and that kind of stuff. So we, we don't have any of that. There's, there's no cursing in the restaurant. It's not for religious reasons. It's for having a great environment for all team yes. members, whether it's your, your son, your daughter, your mother, your whoever. If they're in that environment, they will be comfortable. And the staff, even though it's not always perfectly easy for them, they love the environment for themselves and they all adapt. And it, people that aren't that at other jobs, as soon as they step in, it's kind of like walking into your grandma's room, you'd ne your house, you'd never say a, a word that's not, you know, uh, <laughs> that's true, where it should be. And it's kind of what Craft Grill is, is not about the words, but about the environment. We treat people with respect. So the managers and myself treat the, all team members with respect, um, whether you, even if you're going to be let go, it's going to be in a professional manner. And, uh, you know, it's going to be for the right reasons. And, um, I think professionalism and just treating people nice. So people treated fairly. Got it. I think you're right. We are hearing that that's very, very important for staffing today is they just want to, they want to like where they work and they want to work where they're liked. Okay. Now, how do you take them to the next level? Do you, are they engaged in things that you do or help you decide things, whether it's systems, procedures, training, menu, marketing or not? Well, we've, we've really grown. I mean, if you look at our menu, I mean, when it started, had to keep it simple because doing it perfectly was very important to us. So every cook only had to learn four items, and that's how big our menu was. There's four stations, four items, that's how big it was. Now we got 75 items because we've evolved. Holy moly. Wow. And, um, and they're all from scratch. We make 32 sauces from. Uh, oh my God. And everything's from scratch. Um, but if you look at my management team, all of them have come from uh, up. I mean, my general manager, even General Blanc, was. She was an hourly as she was going to college at um, Aggieland. She graduated college, put her in management at, at Chili's and made her a GM at Chili's at Tascasia. Then I took her with me to uh, Brothers Produce and I took her with me to Craft uh, Grill because she's so talented. My kitchen manager had been with me forever. The uh, My two managers, uh, BB, Blake Butler, uh, Brian, <laughs> uh, Blake Butler. Uh, his dad worked with me, and, and he came from an hourly up, and he's he's a strong manager now. Joel used to work with me, and um, and then Stephen came up from the ranks. So every one of them has evolved. With uh, we we now have a sommelier and a cicerone. Jennifer, we sponsored her to be a, and she's done all the work to be a sommelier, and she's accomplished it. And then uh, Stephen Trelevin is just the bearded beer meister, and he is a Cicerone. It's a ton of work. It's the same as a sommelier. It's, and he's the second level where you got to do all the tasting and get all those nodes in there. And uh, so he's a great talent and has grown from that. I got him from another restaurant and where he was way underutilized, and now he's turned into this 
professor of the bar. Beer, beer is becoming such a, an important part of the industry with the craft brewery um, uh, sector exploding. Um, and just really with craft cocktails, with uh, interest in wine, um, how's, how's that different than, you know, the market maybe uh, back in the day, uh, Chili's or even going further when you first open your operation? It seems to me that, uh, uh, you know, if you're taking the time and effort to have a Cicerone and a Somalia in your restaurant, you're taking the beverage aspect of your business really seriously. We really are. And, you know, on the beverage side, I mean, uh, flights are a lot of fun. We do margarita flights. We do beer flights. We do wine flights. We do whiskey flights, Irish flights. We got scotch flights, bourbon flights. We have 75 uh, whiskeys. We, 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 I like we, it. We, Let's go there for lunch. <laughs> but on the beer, it, it's just, it's, it's a fun market. And um, we have 30 beers on tap. And we try to go as much Texas as we can if we can find a flavor. And Stephen owns that. I don't tell him anything to do. He owns that beer. Mm -hmm. And he, we, you'll see on our website, you can see him. Every time we have new releases, he does a little story live on Facebook Live um, telling people about it. And we have 5,500 followers. We, we get it out there. And it's a lot of fun. He, mm -hmm. he just loves beer. And we take a look at what the, the market, they, they like their middle light, Bud Light. You know, they, they get that. And um, they're still the number one sellers. But... Like Fetchin' Lab down in Alvin, Texas is my favorite beer. It's an amber, a red ale, and I just love that beer. It's just got a, a great flavor. I'm not a hoppy guy, but the IPAs are just huge, and mm -hmm. it's still, so we probably have six or seven IPAs, and Stephen always tries to keep a, a mix of them. But people have their flavors. There's your stout and your porter guys, and, and they, they want to see some. So we try to hit all of them. I keep the beer a little colder than what some of the crafty people would do. Um, no one complaining, but we'll serve it in a room temperature glass for those type of beers. Mm -hmm. And uh, the IPAs and the Millers, we serve that in a nice cold glass coming out of a walk-in that's 32 degrees. So uh, we do a little colder, but we've had a lot of success with it. Excellent. So you're working pretty closely with the, the craft brewers in the area and, and making that part of your story. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And um, we uh, a problem we were having with beer, and a lot of restaurants have, is they don't get the lines cleaned just right. There's all these distributors out there. So we've taken it over ourselves, bought all the tanks and trained Stephen, obviously, and uh, Joel, one of my managers, Joel Battle, and they clean all our lines. So we don't allow any outsiders to do it. So we know it's perfectly done every two weeks. Interesting. Very good. What's the point of difference um, uh, in the food product? I mean, you mentioned real quick, hey, we do everything by from scratch. So can you kind of walk through how that impacts process, how it impacts your purveyor selection, your power levels? How are you able to manage inventory to keep enough product, but not too much since you're, you're such a big fresh kitchen? Yeah, we have a lot of fun with the food and we start with just the basic good specs. So like our, our meat, we, we use certified Angus only, um, 20 days wet aged, fresh, never frozen. And then we build everything from that. So then when we have different cuts, we'll, we'll go off of that. So we start at that at least high level. Okay. Then we, we, uh, we grind our own burgers, 50% chuck, 40% uh, chuck, and 10% uh, ribeye. And ground fresh every day and then on a bun bake fresh every day. We have a relationship with uh, Slow Dough, who is a, just a great artisan bakery that delivers seven days a week. So we have uh, some great breads as well. But all the ingredients, we just don't buy, you know, on strawberries. You get Driscoll, you know, on... Okay. You, you get the good ones. Um, uh, you get Andy Boy lettuce. You, we go with the higher level. It costs you a couple bucks up front, but it uh, is well worth it, and the guest receives it well. Like with lettuce, we cut it fresh and ice shock it every day. Whereas most, a lot of the restaurants out there are buying the bag, which is perfectly fresh and healthy and all that. 
but it doesn't have that crispness that we used to get. Mm -hmm. And I see. So I love the shock and um, people see that in our salads. You know, and it's, it's I'm sure everything, um, you know, it, it sounds delicious and, and the customers can guests can can taste the difference. But um, are, are you taking efforts to at least tell them the story, just how much effort and care you're putting into you know, preparing these dishes so they can really appreciate, hey, this is a, a special product. Are you telling a story? I guess that's my question. You know, the whole menu is built on stories. It's, you know, it's it's the Oklahoma kitchen sink nachos. It's the Marco Island uh, mahi-mahi. You know, we have, they're from different regions, and all of them have a, a Mississippi comeback sauce. You know, Mississippi comeback sauce in Mississippi was, it was a sauce that was so good that would make your man come back because it was a Mississippi comeback sauce. Mm -hmm. So all of our ingredients have little stories, and, and the team loves telling the little stories. I mean, if you look at our windows in the restaurant, uh, we have windows that separate the bar and the dining room. And uh, a long time ago, uh, Mr. Duke, who's Duke Energy and then Duke University, that's mm -hmm. all him, a very uh, benevolent guy. Well, he died, and he left everything to his daughter, Doris Duke. And Doris Duke became a billionaire, hung with the, you know, the Kennedys, the President Kennedy mm -hmm. and that group and the Rat Pack, uh, Sammy Davis, all those guys. And anytime they took pictures was in their, her big house, 65,000 square foot mansion, the Duke Mansion in New Jersey, overlooking the river. And when it, she died and went in dilapidation, uh, all the pictures that they took of those people were in the, uh, the bamboo room, which overlooked the, the gardens and everything. And I bought all the windows from that. Um, room and had them shipped here. Mm -hmm. So uh, in, in the next concept we're doing, we're going to put them in as well. And um, but there's just a story there. They were they were taken. They were installed in 1885, and now they're in Craft Grill, installed in 2015, and they're just cool. They got a lot of history, and little, there's little stories in all the menu. And when you look around the bar, there's stories in the bar top. It's by Houston Hardwoods down there in Ella 34th. Been here for 100 years. They de developed it, and we had a built-in site, and it's never been stained, never been varnished. It's just oiled twice a week. Wow. And it's a beautiful bar, all wood. So there's little stories everywhere. Um, That's wonderful, and I think it's important for the listeners that um, to, to make note of some of the things that you just kind of threw out there, like just everyday things that are just part of your book, but they're substantial because it means your approach to something that people might look at as, you know, fairly common, a good sandwich, burger, salad, etc. What's important today is that everyone develops their point of difference. And what I'm hearing is your point of difference is you can take something that might sound common, but you just have to make it that one level better when you're just talking about, okay, fresh ground beef, but there's a unique grind that you want to use. Okay, it's a good fresh bun. No, there's a custom bakery you want to do. Um, I remember you talking about the salad. Yeah, but there's a certain way to keep to ensure the crispness. So I think those are things that people need to realize that uh, if you're going to create a story, you've got to find some points of difference. You've got some, you've got many. Well, thank you. You know, and uh, with that narrative, which uh, clearly would improve the guest experience, it's, it's more than just the food. You're part of history. You're you're part of uh, um, enjoying local fare that has some type of background. Um, you have a fair amount of experience as a purveyor with the need to uh, have a story and to provide perhaps local beers, maybe local fish, uh, local uh, other seafood, local beef, um, and What's what's different now about purchasing than maybe you experienced years ago? Is it is it gotten more complicated, or are the broadliners coming on board and helping you do this without having to have you know thirteen different uh, trucks pulling up at your back door every week? 
I think the relationship with your vendors is the most important thing. They got to understand they're there to help you. They're good people, and I have great relationship with every one of our vendors, and I respect them, and and I I hope they respect me, and I think they do. Uh, but it's having a good understanding of what you're looking for, because a lot of places are looking price is the only thing that matters. We want value. We don't want to overpay, but we've got to have that quality. So um, I think it's relationships. That's a good point. That's a good point. I know too many people, I think a lot of times think it's adversarial. You know, it's I'm going to get a better um, a relationship with my vendor if I'm fighting over the price of the olive or I'm competing three guys together on the price of the five by six tomato. But listening to you, it sounds totally different. Uh, if, if you've got to have common goals, it seems like you got to have a mutual respect and then you get more out of your vendor. Absolutely. I do. I do believe in the competitive bid, but I have a relationship with all three of my broadliners. We, we're blessed with enough sales that we have good orders. Mm -hmm. But um, I believe in a grid system because some people do. This guy does proteins at a very, you know, this one might have proteins that I won't buy because it's not at the same quality. So he's ruled out. Mm -hmm. So everybody's quality has got to be at a certain level if you're in it. But then I, I do bid. Um, but it's a, it's not adversarial. It's they all know, and they're they're excited when they when they win some more items, and um, it works very well. The computer's a wonderful thing these days with keeping track of Absolutely. where everything is up minute by minute. You've got some expensive proteins at the center of your plate, um, and uh, certainly you don't want to overorder, but certainly you don't want to run out. You know what techniques you're using now um, that are streamlining your. Uh, your inventory cost control and inventory management, uh, anything new uh, and interesting that you found opening up your restaurant the last three years that, that has really helped with that process? You know, we are blessed with consistent sales. I mean, we can track, I mean, you might have one ship that's a little higher, a little mm -hmm. lower, but, um, you know, some restaurants, they have, they have a tough time, and I've run many of them, where, <laughs> you know, you just, oh, it's Tuesday, and all of a sudden, you got 50 people in there, that, and you got one waiter. Uh, we have a full staff, and I always staff a little stronger. Well, one of my things that I don't do the same as a corporate is I don't drive by the labor. I drive by the right number of people. Mm -hmm. So I never have the door without a hostess on it, period, ever. Mm -hmm. From the minute we open to the minute we close. And there's many mm -hmm. times that there's nothing to do. And I, I, on all my busy shifts, I have two or three managers working the floor and the kitchen. One in the kitchen, one in the, uh, the bar area, and one in the dining room so that we have coverage. We touch every table. There's no guest that ever visits, knock on wood, uh, craft grill and doesn't get touched by uh, a manager just checking in them and making sure that we're providing that great environment and that also allows that manager to see everything they they own it they mm -hmm. they see that tea's not filled they see whatever and they're coaching and we're, we're more shoulder to shoulder uh, with the management which uh, I, I just believe in is third-party delivery um, becoming a factor in your concept uh, what what are your thoughts on that obviously it's very controversial right now it, it is and I'm I'm adversarial on it, but actually jumping in the pool. Mm -hmm. So I've always believed, I mean, the margins of restaurants are tiny. I mean, you, you look and you make 5% on your money, 10% on your money, 15% on your money, whatever it is, but then they want 20 or 30%. Why do that? You know, I know it's it's getting another guess. And I understand the incremental sales. Everybody will tell you about the incremental sales because you don't have more labor, don't have more air conditioning, all that good stuff. But bottom line, it's reducing or diminishing the service you're giving everybody else if you're taking that attention and giving it to an order that you're not making any money on. So that's been my philosophy. But now favor is part of the uh, 
the HEB group, and they've got kind of a different model. Mm -hmm. And I, I like their whole story and their environment, so I'm allowing them in okay. <laughs> for a very small uh, piece of it. Um, and uh, it, it's working out just fine as we've been in it three weeks. Uh, we do a lot of to-go. The guests do like us, and we do a lot of drop-and-go where, you know, uh, party platter kind of stuff, mm -hmm. where chicken and biscuits and the, and the sliders and the you know, queso and salads. We do a great job with um, them. So the office buildings will have, we have a catering van and we also have a, a, a full uh, food uh, trailer that can execute large orders. Um, so we do have a lot of off-premise eating going on at Craft Grill, but not a lot of the DoorDash kind of things. Mm -hmm. Is your total menu available for the favor program that you just started three weeks ago? Yes. Okay. It'll be interesting to see how, uh, you know, how it, progresses if you feel like it's a good thing to add to your marketing and branding because uh, I know a lot of restaurants are trying to look at it as that kind of an approach knowing that it isn't a tremendously immediate profitable approach. You know another thing that there's been a lot of social media about you know the DoorDash or I don't want to say anybody I'm just saying that type of service where the drivers are getting videotaped and on Facebook where they're eating people's food as they're dropping it off. Yeah, so that. there's a new uh, technology that I started with the first day that I started the favor and it's, it's called uh, tamper resistant delivery. Mm -hmm. And it's a big bag that's just like, you know, those bank bags when you go pick up the money and it's sealed. So oh, you have really? to cut it open, right? Yeah. It's the same thing, except your whole order goes in it. So we, we show the favor guy the order, we put it in there and then we seal it. And then the guest unseals it. So they know it's from craft to you with no, no intervention. One more little point of difference. Uh, that's that's good. So I mean, so I, if I got your third party delivery, it's going to look a little bit differently than the guy down the street. I'm going to feel a little bit more protected. Good for you. Now let's talk about some other things that we know are in your future. I understand you have the craft grill pretty well packaged, registered, and ready to grow through franchising. Yeah, we're we're excited. We work with the a la carte team. We love those people. And uh, we've developed the, um, the whole uh, franchise uh, package and uh, got with Wayne Bunch, the franchise lawyer. So we've copyrighted, trademarked our name nationally. Uh, we've got a lot going on. So we haven't really hired a broker or anybody to, to market it yet. But we're just getting ourselves ready for the future. And we will. And we've had a lot of interest. Um, and, but we want to make sure we get the, the right people and the, the, that they're all successful. So um, maybe you could share with us a little bit of your uh, strategy that led you to decide to grow that way. I mean, was it reacting to the requests that you were getting or was this part of maybe your overall brand development from the get-go? Yeah, it's um, a little selfish because we've been asked so many times to, to open locations here, there. And, you know, when you, when you first start out, it's hard getting money. And then when you're successful, boy, anybody's willing to give it to you. <laughs> you got to watch it. And so all these people are saying that they'll do this or that. But I don't want to stretch myself thin. Um, you know, I, I'm not, not a young chicken anymore. And I want to make sure that we do it for the right reasons and don't have any risk. I mean, rule number one in restaurants is don't go broke. And um, <laughs> okay. so the thing I think I think Craft Grill is a, is a wonderful um, model. But one of the big things about the model is that you're part of it is that in craft, you can't have a craft grill, whether it's this one or the future ones, there can't be a craft grill without somebody that's passionately involved with the community in the dining room, touching tables every day. That is the biggest part of our model. I, when I'm not there, like I said, the managers, you get in touch a couple of times, there's interaction, they, they know the guests, the guests know them, they call each other by name. Mm -hmm. And uh, without that, me growing to a second location would diminish that at the first location. And can I do that to the full extent at the next one? 
there needs to be another me. So I think that it would be better for me, my health, my livelihood to have somebody else do it and me train them. So that's gonna, that brings up that next question. So franchisee selection obviously sounds like it's going to be paramount because the same way that you're looking at the uniqueness in bread, meat, salads, etc. means I would assume you're going to be studying potential franchisees very carefully. Yes. Uh, maybe you could comment on how you feel the profile needs to be to be a successful craft grill operator as a franchisee. And then what kind of training are they going to have to go through in order to get all of the details down that you do? That, that's a great question. And um, with Craft Grill, it's there's some concepts. You can have a person with money that says, I'll buy this, hire a manager, put them in there, and, and, and go down the road. Craft Grill isn't that. With, with all the scratch cooking, with all the interactions that are needed with so many personnel, we have, we have 75 employees and um, team members. And we, um, with that being said, it needs to be somebody that's got restaurant experience. You, you wouldn't be able to do it if you had no restaurant experience. There's just too many things going on. And then you got to have that and a great ability just to engage with your team and your guest. And I think you can be successful with our model. We have it very well laid out. The a la carte group laid everything out with training and everything that we might have been short with um, has been all buttoned up. And we're excited to um, help somebody grow into that. Well, great. Good luck with that, too. Uh, you mentioned something I'd like to explore a little bit more, and that's the marketing approach, the power of marketing coming from a consistent operation within the four walls. Uh, but now that you're going to be spreading the brand out and growing through franchising, are there certain marketing things that you like uh, or that you're going to expect from them, community involvement, uh, or a certain percentage of sales that they need to be spending on things to uh, to you know broaden uh, the knowledge? And if so, what medias would be right to use? Well, I don't think that a franchisee has to do it exactly the same as me. They need to make it their own concept. But for me, it has been that Social media has been extremely good to us, and okay. our growth has been year over year and month over month. Beautiful That's since we fantastic. opened. Fantastic. So we haven't had a you know need to make a knee jerk reaction. So we've never done a coupon. We've never done an advertisement in a newspaper or, or a magazine or a, anything. We've never done anything. Um, but we do participate with charities every time. Every school. Mm -hmm. Every church, every community, as long as they're within a few miles or five miles is what I tell the team, then we want to be involved. We want to find them, even if they don't find us and, and go do something for them. You know, when okay. if there's something going on, we had the, the flood and we, we got involved in that and we, anything we can do to help the community, we do. Is that going to be part of your franchise model to encourage your, your franchisees to, to do the same? Yes. There's actually required half percent that goes to the marketing, and that's how we present it to them. In terms of your concept uh, and an expansion, um, does it require a very consistent footprint, a very consistent layout, or uh, do you foresee that there'll be enough flexibility where uh, you could extend that brand into maybe a different space than you have now or your initial uh, spaces, but uh, still maintain the whole integrity of the concept? Yeah, it can be flexible. Um, craft grill is a crafted environment, so it doesn't have to be cookie cutter. Mm -hmm. It could be, you know, we're 4,800 square. We, we just added on uh, 400 some feet, but we started at 44. Now we're 48 something. And um, that's a good size for us. It's a pretty good size building. And um, but you could be smaller and we would have to trim the menu up and take a look at it because we've got a lot of equipment in there. The kitchen is fully utilized and the 1,587 square feet in the kitchen 
is uh, very much used. So if you were going to trim it down, we'd have to take a look at the menu, but that's all doable. Mm -hmm. So that's good. So that shows that you've already decided that you can have some certain trade dress that are the sacred cows, things that absolutely positively need to be there in order to represent your brand correctly, but a willingness to be flexible. You go, you'll grant variations as you might need to, to so that they can be successful in different layouts, different communities. Yeah, no, I, I want the, the, the owner of the next craft grill to, uh, to own it and to, to have say and to have some fun with keeping with our brand. You have to stay within the brand model, but um, as long as we do that, and you, you know, you've talked about um, catering and banquet service, and we're seeing a lot of concepts where it's going to be a very critical part of their business model. Uh, it appears you have a pretty brisk uh, dine-in business, but um, can you talk a little bit about uh, how important the catering and banquet uh, aspect is to um, your business model or any business model as a restaurateur? Well, it's just... It, it Sales fix anything. I mean, every restaurant guy will tell you that, you know, mm -hmm. what, what, what problems you're having, well, sales will fix it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so getting sales is a good thing. Um, do we, we've learned that during the peak times, don't set up, we did this a month ago, we set up a, a big delivery at noon on Friday. Oops. We won't do that again. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, so you just got to learn from what you do and, and have some fun with it. Um, I got a great team. And we do a lot of the drop and goes. And, and the thing is, is the piece of feedback I'd give is really start it and it grows because you'll start doing it when you do a good job. Six months later, they order again. And then, you know, six months after that, two more ordering. And it, it just it, it just growing exponentially. Mm -hmm. um, you'll lose a few, but you're picking up many more. And it's it's a growing business and it's a it's a fun segment. The team likes doing it. It's just a little something different in the day, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, making 200 chicken and biscuits for it's, it's just fun. Mm -hmm. So that kind of brings us back to team. And obviously, you're doing such a good job if you're you're staffed, you get there involved. Um, they obviously are happy. And uh, is cross training very, very big? Or, I mean, are most of the front of the house people able to do other positions and in house people also doing catering? How do you decide that? Yeah, you know, it, it's a lot of fun. We found a lot of the, the hostesses grow into servers, the servers grow into bartenders, the, the, the hostesses grow into expediters with, with the food coming out. And we love a young uh, hostess or host becoming a, um, an, an expediter, which is the one that guides everything out of your kitchen onto trays okay. and it's a very important position and when they're young and they they don't graduate and become a waiter when they turn 18 for a little while it really helps you mm -hmm. but our all of our team stays with us and continues to grow i mean all our managers were, were waiters for us at one point and unless they were hired in in their current position and um so cross training is is a lot of fun we do it often we have um, little training sessions all the time. We have uh, staff meetings where we try to uh, enlighten them uh, on, on what the new stuff coming up is, keep them involved, keep them excited. The team is excited about the menu. They love, they're very proud of it, as we are. So we try to keep them all involved as much as possible and trust but verify. So we quiz a lot on the, on the, on the line. <laughs> Yeah. Then, you know, so it's, it's, it, we have fun with it. I'm, I'm guessing your turnover is uh, fairly low as compared to other concepts. Yeah, you, we're, we're very lucky with that. Um, we don't lose anybody to another restaurant. Uh, that's, mm -hmm. that's the one that hurt, that's a stab in the heart. You know, if you say uh, somebody's leaving me to go to Chili's or go wherever, right. that one you go, oh, man, where did we fail? But mm -hmm. that doesn't happen to us at all. It, it is they go to they graduate they mm -hmm. get married they move away they get divorced you know it's life 
changing things mm -hmm. is the or we choose to that they're better off to move on mm -hmm. and um, uh, so we've been lucky with that and that's how we measure it is why do people leave and we keep very close track of that and um, we don't lose anybody to another industry I mean to you know, our same industry I just like the way you know you just mentioned how how just natural day in the life these principles are but in our industry I see too often that these principles just aren't carefully developed and implemented. And too many times, I don't know if staff does feel engaged, appreciated, part of a team, promoted from one position to another. So that's why I just wanted to take a moment and underline that, because our listeners need to see that, gosh, this really can work. You can, you can hire correctly, and then the people don't want to leave. Obviously, if they're feeling value, appreciation, and uh, what else did you mean? The continued education. Mm -hmm. So I'm growing. Obviously, I'm feeling valuable. Okay, th this this is a wonderful class, obviously, in the proper way to develop and handle staff in a restaurant. Thank you. You know, a lot of our guests uh, don't have the experience you do, and uh, they talk about, you know, how they're always trying to keep ahead of the curve and always learning. Are there things that you don't know as well as you'd like to know and, and things that you are doing to, you know, maybe get ahead of the curve or, you know, it sounds like you have a pretty good handle on this stuff, but, um, you know, I'll talk to seasoned operators and they'll say, you know what, I'm having to learn about this or that. I, I, and I kind of enjoy that process. What, what, what's been your kind of viewpoint on all that? Well, I have some shortfalls. <laughs> uh, you know, the one, that I would encourage anybody, you gotta know Spanish, and I don't. I have tried, I've taken Ouch. classes, I've done, <laughs> and oh my God, I, I love these these guys and girls in the kitchen, that, uh, and we all communicate because I, I, I got a little kitchen Spanish, but man, I, I, would, I would be a much better human being if I could because I care about these people. And um, another one is, is I rely too much on my GM because she's so great at the everything with, we use this thing called compete, and, and Aloha and all, all these things she's just great at. So I, I should be more hands-on, but she's so good at it, I don't have to. And it's, uh, so I, I would like to be, it's all my goals to get better at those things. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm, I'd like to talk just one more thing about management too. We, when The GM was the first person you mentioned when you talked about the importance of team. So maybe before we leave team for good, I'd like to end with that. That is there a particular way that you feel uh, Independence should structure managers as far as when it comes to reviewing financials, the amount of the P&L they should know. Um, you mentioned her importance and the things she does. Uh, is somebody like that on a bonus program? And if so, how do, how do you develop that? The um, You just constantly got to talk about what's important, what's going on. I try to, um, you know, in restaurants, in, in running chain restaurants, you never talk about cash flow. You never talk about payroll hitting the same time as rent. And, you know, yes. all these things that... that Mom and pop operator lives by cash flow is, is so important, and um, so I, I just talk about it. I, I talk about it openly. We, uh, my, I don't have anything locked out from my managers. I can see anything on the P and L. It's um, my GM. She she does it, enters it also. It, uh, I use a, a, a business service to a Keystone Business Service to do my uh, accounting, but we do a, a double books one in house and then one out of house. So we make sure that we comply with every law and legal entity out there, yeah. as well as comply with actual versus theoretical food cost and, and driving the numbers the way they should and understanding what you're doing. Um, so we just talk about it. We, uh, I've got a young team and um, they didn't know anything about P&L and about any of those things before Kraft Grill. Jen did, obviously. She's, okay. a she's a big talent, but 
uh, and my kitchen manager did. But um, other than that, um, we're just trying to keep them involved. So that's a, that's a way of keeping them involved and obviously a way of having them learn a little bit more and probably appreciate more of operating this from a standpoint of it's a business, the fact that you're open and teaching them the financials. That You're right, I would probably agree with you that if they were working somewhere else, they might not be getting complete financial knowledge from their operator. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Well, you know, um, as we come to the tail end of about uh, these uh, podcasts, uh, one of the questions Kristen like to ask is um, for you to provide some words of wisdom to operators or potential operators, people who are thinking, hey, I'd like to get in this business. I'd like to I'd like to follow in Chris's footsteps. I'd like to do what he's doing, or maybe even new operators who are trying to find their way. And, you know, could you provide just some some guidance, some words of wisdom, pearls of wisdom, if you will, for those folks in terms of uh, how they um, approach this business that you've been successful in. You know, it, it, to make it in its simplest form, I think it's the team and the money. If either one of them are lacking, you're going to fail. If you can't get a great team, you got to at least have that great couple of leaders that understand the market and can get the rest of the team. And on the money, don't underfund and don't underplan. You gotta make sure you know and you expect what's going to happen. You can't expect to open up being packed and staying packed and making money. It doesn't happen that way. <laughs> There's a growing process. Everybody gets better. Food cost is high and it comes down low when you do a good job, but you have to plan for it. Wow, thank you, thank you. So we started with the importance of team. It's a people industry. We end with the importance of the team. And of course, some very, very good comments on making sure the budget is thorough. If there's no contingency, if there's not enough working capital, startups are probably going to start with one foot in the grave. Mm -hmm. I agree. Chris O'Donnell, Craft Grill, thank you so much again for your time. Maybe we can have you back a little later when you can talk about some of those other things that right now yeah. are just in mind. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, this has been fun. I did. Thank you both. So thank you so much for joining us in the corner booth. This is Chris Tripoli and Barry Schuster saying thanks. And we hope to see you really soon right here at the corner booth. Until then, hey, you operators out there, go make it a good shift.